I'm in for it because you guys are the only ones that really giving me a platform in Delaware to talk about Puerto Rico. And that means a lot. Yeah, well, we were just talking before you came in. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do with this, really. But I wanted it to just be, I wanted it to be open to everything. Like, it was organizer-based. And I wanted to give, like, the organizers somewhere to go and, like, bullshit. And I was hoping, like, our network was big enough where we could sustain it and start making it good. So, like, we did, that's accomplished. Uh, I don't know what we're, I mean, I know what we're going to try to do next, but I never thought that we would. So, uh, welcome to uh, this week's Highlands Bunker podcast. Rob's, Rob's riding solo today, no uh, no Carl, but I, I do feel pretty comfortable here in the shadow of Rockford Tower because it's a lot of love in the room. Um, Maria Beauchamp is here from Puerto Rico, so psyched to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, listening in uh, and maybe joining later is just rock star uh, Erica Gutierrez. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, this um, media company that we're trying to stand up, it's going to be independent media. Um, We're going to probably, we'll do this podcast. Another one, we'll do news. We'll do long form journalism and commentary. But like on our, so we have like a menu of content. We're trying to figure out how to um, like budget for it. Like what, what kind of people and what we would need to produce, you know, X number of widgets output. Um, but one of the things on our minimum menu is some Spanish language content. I love it. Cause it's just like the stuff, I mean, we're not going to talk because Eric is involved in a lot of secret, you know, activities, <laughs> organizing, democratic organizing activities, <laughs> secretly, yeah, secret democratic organizing activities, maybe in Sussex County, maybe not, we don't know. <laughs> um, but it would just be really cool to, um, you know, to be able to do that. I just, I don't know. It's, the, the idea of being able to disseminate that information in a different way, um, just giving people the opportunity to do, um, to tell local news stories on a more regular basis, yeah. to get more Spanish language audio out, um, not for nothing, but this equipment's pretty dope. You can just record this and send it to a radio station. They can just play it. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Well, I love it, and I agree we need it. I think corporate media has been in the mainstream for too long. And people like Eric and myself, we look forward to spaces like this one where we could be honest. No one is paying for us to talk about what we need to talk about. And the people can really listen to it without biased information. And that's something that even in Puerto Rico we're facing with the media. It's so it's it's a common thing I just in the United States. So I love having this platform. Really well, you'll it. you'll always have well, that's my it's it's our pleasure. Um, you'll always uh, have a a, a special uh, honorific for this show, no matter where it goes, because you had been on an episode with Stephanie. Yes, which was fun. It's uh, Senator Susan sat in. It was a blast. Um, but our first remote like Skype call. When we used the new, like the equipment to like do Skype calls, it was the first time we ever used it. Carl had to download this software and get it all set up <laughs> right. And we called you from the streets of Puerto Rico. Yeah, you were banging pots and pans in Old San Juan, and it was like we talked to you for like five minutes. And I remember, I'll tell you exactly. We hung up. Carl took the headphones off and he just looked at me. He was like, "That was pretty cool." <laughs> yeah, so I it was great. With you guys, yeah, that was the first time. <laughs> that was our first like call in, uh, yeah. sort of not face to face thing. And it was almost like good luck because right after that, the governor of Puerto Rico announced that he was going to leave. And that was huge. Yeah, it was that I think it was that night. Actually. Yeah, it was that night. Because before, actually before we aired it, um, Carl, we uh, did like a, a, a buffer or a cut in and, and and that it was that night that he resigned. Or the yeah. next, maybe it was the next morning. No, no, it was actually, it was that night that okay. he resigned and it was right after we hung up. It's awesome. <laughs> so it would say good luck. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into what I want to talk to you about because you um, passed me this information and I've learned a little bit more in the last few days since we talked. But I understand that some of this information that came out about 
uh, the director of education in Puerto Rico and some of the crimes that there are alleged and been indicted for came out of the Telegram gate, the leaks that brought down. So some of the documents that leaked about uh, Rossello were part of this that uh, wound up impacting someone with a lot of local sort of roots. Um, so, uh, Julia, what is her last name? Kelleher. Kelleher. So, Julia Kelleher uh, is a local, I mean, from this local area, what I could find is that um, looks like she was born in South Philadelphia. She went to Penn. Mm -hmm. um, she got a doctorate of education in, like, leadership at the University of Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, she has, you know, up and down all kinds of credentials. You know, she's a... Um, a public, uh, excuse me, a project management professional from Strayer University, but she has, she has some other certificate from Stanford. So all of these long credentials. Um, but from 2000 to 2007, she was with the Red Clay School District. Yes. What was she doing? What was, do we know sort of what her impact is? It just looks to me like it was sort of leadership work and like project management, but I don't know what that means or what that is. So my... My family's first encounter with Kelleher um, in the Rescue School District was actually at AI Middle School, and it wasn't a positive one. My mom came to pick up my sister early from school, and she was being so rude that my mom actually cursed her in Spanish. And so we never forgot, and I never forgot her. I never forgot that incident. Um, and he actually drove me to look more into her, because I wanted to know, so who is this lady that my mom is cursing out? And my mom felt that she was being so racist. And it was Julia Kelleher. And even though she was supposed to be working with a Hispanic student and she was in this leadership program, students didn't feel comfortable with her. Students like my sister and parents like my mother didn't feel comfortable with her. So that was my very first taste of her. And then years later... I find out that she's going to be the Secretary of Education in Puerto Rico, which is a very powerful position. And so we're, and to me, it was like, wait, we have some of the best teachers in Puerto Rico, some of the best leaders in Puerto Rico. And we have to have someone that is coming from Delaware, an American, to be in charge of the educational system in Puerto Rico. This is no good. So personally, I was vocal about her from, the, from day one. And everyone told me to stop fighting so much and being such an activist. Let's embrace her. She might be so good. But I knew she wasn't going to be good um, just because of that taste that was left in my family's mouth. But also because the way that we do schooling in Delaware, it's not necessarily the way that it's going to work in Puerto Rico. And I went to school in Puerto Rico all the way up to middle school. And then I finished middle school here in Delaware. So I had already been a student at both places. And I know the difference between them and how one doesn't necessarily work with the other. So having someone that has the red clay way of doing things and the Delaware way of doing things come to Puerto Rico as a leader and trying to change it wasn't going to be good. And also not understanding the culture. That's very important. Having to understand the culture and what we're teaching. So from day one, I knew this was going to be a mess. And I am so sorry to say that history proved right, that it was a mess. Well, before we get to there, what do we know? First of all, just to let everybody know, yeah, there, there is one, basically one superintendent of Puerto Rico schools. So yeah. all 825 or 50 or whatever it is, it's more than 800, yeah. um, have the, basically the same superintendent. So like it's like a... It's like a super school district almost. So, like. yeah. So, it's basically, well, it was before her. It was just one, almost like one school district. So, you could vision, like, you know, in Delaware, we have Reckley, we have Christina. So, we have different options. But in Puerto Rico, it was just one. And everyone reported to the Department of Education in Puerto Rico. That was before Kelleher came. And one of the things that she did was divide that into districts sort of like the way we do it in Delaware and it went from one place to report to to San Juan, Mayagüez, maybe like three or four different places to report to so it changed completely but before her everyone reported to the same place and everyone was on the same page. So what was her experience do we know any more about what you did at at um, at Red Clay from an administrative standpoint? What, what was her what was her role really? Well, um, 
really what we know it's what wikipedia and right. reports have to say which is that just some he, sort of administrative she, role. she had an administrative role and that she worked with hispanic students but after that she worked with um the united states department of education specifically working with puerto rico so that was right before she went to Puerto Rico. Yeah, I did see that, you know, it's the famous, with all of those credentials, I wasn't surprised to see that after Red Clay, it was like um, Kelleher and Associates um, Education Think Tank in D.C. Yes. So as soon as you see that, and it seemed like it was a lot of conservative reactionary ideas. Yes. Um, you know, charter school type ideas, uh, efficiency ideas, that type of thing. Um, do we know how she landed this job in Puerto Rico? Uh, how you know, is it a that would 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 have been the governor at that time who would have hired her? Yes. So the go- okay. Yeah. So that's exactly how it was. So the governor hired her. She previously then had worked with the United States Department of Education as her company, a private company, and one of the things that. Rosselló did very good in Puerto Rico was privatized, hired from private companies, which is not necessarily good, right? So that's how she gets It's actually usually bad. It is, yes. And history and things that happen continues to show that it is bad. So when she was in D.C., she worked towards Puerto Rico specifically and then gets hired to come to Puerto Rico and become the Secretary of Education in Puerto Rico. And that's pretty much how it is. So what what kind of documents were leaked out and what sort of um, what sort of nonsense has uh, has she been up to? So right before anything was leaked out, um, she already had resistance from the parents and the teachers and the unions because of all her ideas, everything that she wanted to do to change. Um, one of the things that she wanted and she pushed towards was the way that teachers would get paid, the salaries, and also how we would then divide from just reporting to one place into different districts. Um, teachers were not happy with that. The unions were not happy with that. Parents most definitely were not happy with that. But also she closed about 283 schools. And no one was happy with that. My nephew in Puerto Rico switched three schools in less than a year. So closing 283 schools would have students have to change schools in less than a year more than three times. And that's not a good thing. So you have parents and you have teachers that already knew where to go, that everything was already set, and then they have to continue to switch. So why was they closing schools? And what was happening was that they were creating vouchers so sort of like choice that we have here that they decided to create vouchers that were not necessary and also shorter schools. Now, in Delaware, I see and understand why we have charter schools, especially if it's something with culture or I have a child and he goes to Kumba Academy. That's a charter school. And there's a specific reason why. And we have academia and we understand why Hispanic students, Hispanic parents, they want to have something for the kids that is relatable to the culture. In Puerto Rico, we don't have multiple cultures to worry about. We don't have multiple languages to worry about. So charter schools don't necessarily make sense. And she wanted to implement that. And what that meant was privatizing something that was working perfectly fine under the public system and that we never needed to change. Um, Even though we already have Montessori schools in Puerto Rico, and we also have private schools in Puerto Rico. So parents do have options, right? But she wanted to create another option that will benefit other people and other agendas. Who are these other people that are going to benefit from this? So the reason even why um, her second indictment came is because if you close a school and now no one owns that property, I, as a private company, have access to this land, which she gave in exchange of an apartment. So at an exclusive place in San Juan. So in order for her to benefit, she gave property away. That property would not become available if she didn't close the school. And that's so, so you're closing of schools, you're, you're creating different districts. And the other thing that we never use in Puerto Rico 
we never had to use, and she did this, like, the, so after Katrina, we know that in New Orleans, the public school system really suffered, and there was a lot of damage. After Hurricane Maria, she did the exact same thing that happened in New Orleans, which we know it did not work, but she did it anyways. And what they decided to do was they decided to buy trailers to put in public schools that one either didn't need it or they were not prepared for the students. I remember when I first went to a trailer in school, it was here in Delaware, when I went to AI Middle. That was the first for me, coming from a school in Puerto Rico. But we didn't need that. You closed 283 schools plus to then buy trailers because there was not enough space in schools for students. Well, you didn't need to close the schools to begin with. So let's go back to the vouchers. What Was there other... What, what The first indictment uh, was some sort of voucher scheme? Yes. Do you, how, can you explain that? <laughs> so it, it pretty much actually all of her schemes, whether it was... Um, the vouchers or uh, taking exchanging property for value. Uh, she had fraud and wire fraud, um, and they were so. Also- basically, she's commodifying the vouchers that she has control of for uh, gifts and things yes. of that nature. Okay. Yes, and it, it was also well, when you're in public. So sometimes people say, "Well, what's wrong with receiving the gift?" There's nothing wrong, right? If you're a normal person and you're not in politics, and you're not exchanging your gift. So if you're playing with people's lives, students' lives, literally, and you're changing everything, so a student that could probably walk to school now has to have a parent or a parent pay for transportation, because another thing that's different in Puerto Rico is the way we do transportation. So if a parent cannot take the student to school, now they have to pay someone to drive them to school which wasn't necessary before. And now you're creating more problems and economical changes to a family in order for the kids to go to school, but you're making it more easy and accessible for private companies and other people with an agenda to be able to access these um, properties and or control how things were done, especially also if you wanted to open a charter. One of the things that happened in Puerto Rico you know how in Delaware sometimes we sell property for a dollar? Yeah, sort of the, the to 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 make the transfer of something valuable to someone else. Uh, it's just the, like the the little thing to make the transfer, exactly, yeah, give away to give away, and yeah. then they're supposed to fix it by a certain amount of time. And there's this contract. Well, she did that with the schools in Puerto Rico. So the schools in Puerto Rico were selling for a dollar, but the people buying them and the people being approved to buy them for a dollar were churches or other private entities to use them for their benefit it also wasn't something that they were giving to the communities to nonprofit organizations and a lot of uh communities wanted to buy their schools actually now with the earthquakes i was visiting a school in guanica that was closed this school is in perfect condition after the earthquakes they are not in land that if it rains, there will be damage to the country. The school that was actually left open, they had to take the students out every time it rains because of all the water getting in. So it's a perfect school place for them to be that right now is going to waste. So when the community wants to rescue it, the community wants it. And in order for the community to get this, we have to fight. And that is something that she created. No one else created that issue but her. And by closing the schools, by creating these vouchers, by opening the door for charter schools, and also by just not making it available to the people. Yeah, unfortunately, <clears throat> you know, the last three years has just been an acceleration of commodifying everything yeah. and turning it to, you know, they say, well, it'll, it's, it's efficiency. Really, it's just a transfer of public value to private hands yes you know it was something i I think you might have made this point actually and maybe you talking about it think of talking about privatizing like public beaches and things for resorts it's like i mean it's just like what else just sucking sucking public value into the private into private hands and then basically saying well, that's how that's efficient. You know, we just we just made money, and that's that's that. Now, at least here, it looks like some laws were broken 
allegedly. I mean, people can do their own homework. We, it looks like we got some law breaking here. Yes. And so, so I know that there's been at least two indictments. Um, are, the, are they both pending? Are trials uh, imminent, or um, do we expect some kind of um, some kind of deal? So I'm happy with what the federal government is doing in Puerto Rico. One of the things that she did was that she didn't want to have a trial in Puerto Rico because of all the hate mail, all of the angry people against her. She felt that it, she's not going to have a fair trial. So we've got a change of venue. She wants to. But I am so happy that the judge said, no way, these crimes were committed in Puerto Rico. So we are going to have the trial in Puerto Rico. What the date change was a date. So it's going to be somewhere around February 22nd of 2021. But it is going to be in Puerto Rico. And I am very happy that it's going to be there because the people of Puerto Rico need to be a part of this. And and she committed her crimes in Puerto Rico. She hurt the families in Puerto Rico. She hurt our educational system in Puerto Rico. Um, the other thing that she's doing that I find very ironic and insulting, but I'm glad the way people are responding. It's they started a GoFundMe, but not also that she actually uh, hired a publicist firm to send emails and ask people for money for her defense. So you could go to GoFundMe and you could find her GoFundMe, but she's basically claiming that she did all these wonderful things, that she has this very intense resume. She's been a giving person. Uh, her intent, her resume. The one thing I will agree is her resume is extremely intense. It is intense. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes not in a good way. Now, I I actually so I was wondering when when I review her resume was how many other people she has hurt and they don't know about it. Um, she's even still a, uh, a professor at George University. George Washington. George Washington University. So she's back in D.C. Yes. Okay. But she always held that position, even when she was Secretary of Education. And I remember when the media in Puerto Rico, at one point, uh, she was seen as a superhero. Look at this person. She's our Secretary of Education. She has her private company. And she's also a professor. How can she does, do all these jobs? And that's how she was trying to justify her salary in Puerto Rico, which was a very high salary never seen before. Um so these mega salaries that came out of the Rosario administration were always criticized by the people. And she tried to say, well, my resume is so amazing and so intense, and I'm doing all these things at once. That's why I deserve this salary. But it should, you should question it. So what's the defense? Is the defense, like you said, like, uh, gifts are okay? Um, is I mean, what? It seems pretty, you know, if, if you go in and, and in a short period of time, sort of consolidate power and then start to commodify both vouchers for who gets to go where, um, the, the land itself, um, and all of those things like what, and, and you receive basically kickbacks, um, or apartments and, and, and fancy neighborhoods, uh, or cash or, you know, club memberships, whatever you get. I mean, what is her defense for this? So she hasn't given an interview, and she's not talking about it. And on a legal standpoint, I find that smart. Hey, let me, you know, not say anything. Let's wait for the day off. But honestly, the way she has treated everything, I feel that in her mind, she was the best person to do this, and that everything that she did was just right and what Puerto Rico needed, and she didn't do any wrong. And her ideas and her reforms in the educational system was just perfect and at the right time in order to evolve the educational system in Puerto Rico and make it more Americanized. Um, Americanized. Exactly, Americanized. You're, actually, you're already American, but that's in a whole other story. Exactly, that is in a whole other story. But when we look at the history of Puerto Rico and when we were invaded by the United States of America, and at one point in the educational system Puerto Rico, teachers were not allowed to speak Spanish or teach Spanish. There was a time when we were not even allowed to have our own flag shown. It was illegal. And for me, it was a huge slap in the face to have a secretary of education. And even though I live in Delaware and I'm very proud of everything that I've learned and done in Delaware, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and I'm also very proud of that. And for me, we have enough qualified people in Puerto Rico to do this job. And to have someone that came straight from Delaware because she she went to uh, the right school 
directly school system but then after that she was um even though she was in in dc she was working with puerto rico from after she re- left directly so i feel that she came from delaware in a way and she comes from delaware to change everything and americanize it to a point that we didn't need that and we already have to learn english we take english courses and that's great and puerto rico has um a lot of Americans that live in there and their kids have an opportunity to go to schools that attend to their needs. But we need to keep our culture alive and we need to keep what we do in Puerto Rico alive and going. In public schools, they need to stay public. They don't need to be privatized. Um, we don't need to continue to make it harder for people to really understand what's going on and how people do things. If we do not learn from our culture, if we don't learn the real history of Puerto Rico, we will continue to always be a colony. Um, The territory of America is a beautiful way of saying a colony because a colony sounds horrible. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of that. And I I try to use, choose my words more uh, descriptively too because it's a colony. That's what it is. It's like... There's no way, there's no real way around it. You know, if you, and I mean, it, which, which, which makes it so much, you know, we tell, we tell these stories in here all the time of commodifying the commons, you know, um, making something, you know, you have to put it in private hands. We just, we just went through this ordeal this week, you know, with the state giving away four and a half million dollars yes. to the richest company in the world, yeah. Amazon. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing we can do about it. And the people, and it's sort of, it's interesting that you said, you know, she, in her mind, she believes what the things that she did for the, were, were right. You know, I'm privatizing. I'm to, now, of course, she's also stealing, but, and these people think they're, they're very confused. They're like, well, we're trying to spur business. I'm like, no, you're taking people's money and you're just giving it to them. Yeah. Like, you're just, you're just, sent, you're, 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 you're reallocating wealth the other way. Yes. And so we talk about these things all the time, but this is so much more because you're exploiting a colony, which is vile. Um, it's 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 based on sort of illegal graft and taking bribes, you know, during the the the, the, the administration of it. And it, it's and it's and it's done really to, as you say, sort of suppress a culture that, I mean, what else can we do? It's just so, I'll tell you what, sometimes I talk to you guys and I feel hopeful. And sometimes I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the one thing that I, that I would say that always gave me hope was that the unions, the teachers, the parents always spoke up. She, from, so she, when she resigned, um, she resigned, I think, April 2019. And when she resigned was before she got arrested. And one of the things she said was, I need to resign because people are hostile and everyone is so angry at me. And everywhere she went, people would face her and say, this is wrong and what you're doing is wrong and we need to stand up against you. So that makes me feel hopeful. Now, what she was not being truthful about is that, hey, I was stealing, I was committing fraud, I was committing bribery and all of these other things and they're catching up to me. So I need to resign before I get arrested and hopefully I won't get arrested. And that's the real reason why she resigned, right? But then she got arrested and I am so grateful that, hey, the federal government did something right. They found out that she is committing wire fraud, that she's committing bribery and all of these other things that are wrong. And from that chat, she's been the first person to get arrested. And I hope that she's not the only and last person to get arrested. Because that chat revealed a lot of um, things that were completely wrong and corrupted in the government of Puerto Rico, including the governor of Puerto Rico. Yeah, the telegram chat. The telegram chat. But I hope, what can America learn? What can we in Delaware learn from that? It's that, guess what, public servants? You are to be that, a public servant. Nothing more. And you should be in that position to really help the people and to evolve and grow as a community. If you are there to make your friends rich, to give out contracts, to continue to do development, 
but nothing else more. We our, our health system is not getting better. Our educational system is not getting better. Our crime is not everywhere equally better. Then we could take you out before the next election because we, the people, will get together and we'll fight to remove you and we'll do so. And that's what I hope that Delaware learns. So no matter whether you are the governor, the mayor, or in our educational system, you will be watched by the people and we the people will hold you accountable and we will make the changes necessary for a better society. Absolutely right. I I I, I put it this way to a few candidates who have come in because um, we've, we have a tradition in Delaware of uh, once somebody's entrenched in that process, um, they just, they're in the process. So you can get a promotion, like you can go from city council to mayor, or you can go from county council to U.S. House of Representatives, or you can go from a state senator to state leadership or, or whatever. Uh, and you got and all that time, you're making sure you, all of your friends get rich. <clears throat> But if an, if an insurgent candidate comes from the grassroots and from the people, they say, well, why haven't you gone through this process? I don't want to go through that process. I'm not there to go through that process. I'm there to, to exact the will of my community and to take the needs, the material interests and needs of the people that I'm representing and do what I need to do in whatever political body that I'm in or whatever public servants that I'm, that I'm looking to do. That confuses a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, oh, Jess Screen, why are you running for Senate? Oh, Eugene Young, right? Why are you running for mayor? Just run for, you know, this. No, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. Yeah. That we, that's not only, we re, not only uh, are we not doing it, we're, we're explicitly doing this work to reject that. We're rejecting it. Yes. We're not standing for it anymore. That's what's, that is hopeful is that people do have the inclination now to stand up for themselves. Yes. And and it, and it's coming back. For, you know, I, I feel like it was gone for some period of time, but now it's coming back. Yes. So the, the Delaware way of doing politics, it's now have become the way of doing politics for the elite. It's not for the working class. It's not for um, black and brown people. It's, it's not for my community. I live on the east side. And just because I'm in Puerto Rico a lot more often now than I was before, it doesn't mean that my son is still not a part of the school system, that I'm not still part of the community and I'm not still very rooted in the community that has seen me grow. And as a Hispanic leader in the community, not only do I feel that I have to speak up for the Hispanics, but also for everyone else in my community. Eight days, 10 victims of shooting in Wilmington. That, I'm sorry, is unacceptable. It's very unacceptable. Even if you as a police officer tell me that the crime has gone down from before and this is the best mayor we have had in the past 10 years, I don't need to I, I don't need to take Mike and watch him as is he better than the past? No. Is he better now? Is he good now? Yeah. Is he growing and, now? And you you mentioned an an excellent point. So and I want people to be very um cognizant of this and recognize when you hear people say it. <clears throat> like human human beings are not like numbers. So it's like, well, less people got shot this month than got shot this month last time. Or, um, you know, education. So if, if we just close these two schools and consolidate these 80 students and those 310 students into this school and then do this, like, these are kids. Yeah. Like, this is not how, you know, you don't, you, you don't privatize. You don't take what we have and then privatize it. Uh, you don't treat services public services as if you were making radios yes but people think like well that's what private industry but this is it's two different things if you start hearing people talk about the numbers rather than the material impact to the community whether it's crime or whatever it is you know you're being had they're playing a different game than you're playing and you call them out on it yes. make sure they know we're not playing that game anymore exactly yes we we're not i'm not as a parent and as a community member and I urge everyone that is listening to never do that. You never settle, especially when it comes to the government. You don't get to tell me that our new administration or our current administration is better than the past, so we are going to take what we have. Either they get with the program 
and really serve the people or they need to get out. Now, one of the things, and, and, and this is so true. Someone asked me this on social media recently about what we have in Delaware going on. Oh, well, tell me someone that is going to take it that is better. Oh, we have plenty of people. Yeah, how many, how many names would you like? Yes, I could give you all the names, but it's not that. If you're asking me that, then you're also part of the problem. If you cannot say, you know what? That is true. We are failing at caring for everyone in the community. We are failing at being equal and having better opportunities. How can we do better? If you're not saying that, but actually saying, well, tell me someone that's going to do it better. You're not part of the solution. And if our government cannot say, you know what, constituents, you're right. I fail at this. We should have zero crime. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to listen to you. And my administration is going to listen to you. And everyone in here is going to listen to everyone. How can we work together? If you're not saying that, then you need to get out. Yeah, and what are the other, again, people never look at any context. What are, what, what's the context of this drop in crime? You know, we, we talk about the fines and fees, uh, stuff that everybody's working on because we just put, you know, we put heavy fines and fees on people. We sequester certain groups of people in certain neighborhoods. Um, you know, the, the, the things that the cops are allowed to do to certain people in certain neighborhoods is different. Everybody knows this. So yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing to make the numbers re to make the numbers read like you can tell people that you're better than the last person? Mm -hmm. I don't buy any of this. I don't buy any of it. No, no. Um, I also don't buy when someone tells me, "Well, we would arrest them, and then family courts releases them, and the parents are not involved." Looking to place blame, right? And not of course, that's the tricky. That's that's the biggest one. It's always it's always. It's always based on your individual choice. It's all that's anybody any that's always that's all bullshit too. It is. So for me, someone in the community that has worked with the youth, um, look, I'm not a non for profit and I'm also not a uh, I'm not an a government official. I'm just Maria Bouchon who cares for the community and loves it very I'm, much. I'm I only have a podcast. So I'm you and I are both <laughs> We're just right. doing. We're, we're just it. doing what we can with That's what it. we have. We're both doing it right now. Exactly. So as right now we're doing it and we're doing the best we can and we're not in this power. We don't have this funding. I work with the youth in Delaware a lot, specifically in Wilmington, and I have had youth whose parents are very involved, and youth whose parents are not involved at all. I don't blame their parents and tell them, "Well, you are not doing this right and this right because your mom is not involved." I see that they don't have the support and then I find ways to give them support and get them where they want to go. If we in government and public service cannot do that, then we too are failing. It's not about, hey Maria, it's not the mayor's fault, the governor's fault because the parents don't care. It's about, hey, you know what? The parents don't care, but we're looking for the tools to show them that we as a society care that we are willing to give them the tools so they could be better citizens and all of that. It could be done because, like I said, you with a podcast, me with what I have, we are able to do it. Why yes. can't they? Everybody, everybody's got to pitch in. Yes. Yeah. I will. I I wanted to mention this uh, because it just came out recently, and I'll get your feedback on it. So there's been a few stories in the news about, and have had that framing the Delaware way. Um, so Sarah Gamard, who was. Um, Scheduled to come on here, we couldn't we couldn't hook it up because we were bi both busy when we were trying to do it. Um, wrote a story about two weeks ago about the lack of transparency in the general assembly, uh, live streaming um, arguments, uh, putting other caucus and committee stuff on record, things like that. And what I found interesting was she framed it as the Delaware way, because. Um, Really, what they want to do is do as much business as they can out of the public eye. So, of course, the next day, uh, Pete Schwartzkopf says, well, we're, we're looking into live streaming stuff in the chamber. Well, of course, he knows as part of leadership, his job is to make sure nothing ever gets there. So unless he puts the, the, the legislation on the floor, no one ever has to make a public statement about it at all. So that's all a big game. We see you, Pistol Pete. <laughs> um, but then later that week or, or maybe last week um there was a story in the la times 
and I guess it was framed because of the Biden candidacy about the the um, the foundations of the Delaware Way are starting to crumble. Mm-hmm. A lot of cracks. Some parts are starting to fall in. People are getting called out. And, you know, people are starting to see this. Um, I, I think people at, at, the, at the meeting we attended where, you know, while the committee did approve four and a half million dollars um, to Amazon for some reason, um, you know, we made our feelings known and they know we're not going to stop. Like, that's not a one-off. Like, that was just like a warm-up. Like, we went there on a Monday at 9 o'clock just to, like, kind of stretch. Yeah. You know? It's like when you take the day off and you just go swimming. We're going to be all over these people for the reasons that you said. And I think they know the Delaware way is, is, gonna, is cracking. I mean, I don't know. Had, had you seen either of those articles or do you have any sort of sense that this idea that what we're talking about, the old way, the secret way, the rule by elites. Um, yeah, do you feel as I do that there are cracks being exposed in this? Yes, I agree 100%. Uh, so I remember when I was a 14-year-old activist, the Delaware way of doing politics was great. I remember when even Carper gave me an opportunity to speak about secondhand smoking and we created the Kick Butts Generation and I served as a president before. And we did all these amazing things with the Truth Organization and did the way of Delaware being a leader and having youth involved and people from different races involved. So I believe back then there was a, a proud way of saying this is the Delaware way of doing things. We're, we're going to get together. We're going to fight. We're going to advocate. And we're going to give everyone a voice. But that changed. The voices and the people sitting at the table making decisions became the bankers, became the people with the money. Uh, and people like me no longer had a seat at the table. Um, people who never throughout the years got butt out because I, I don't do this for money. I do this because I really care. But as I continue to get older and now now in my 30s, my mid-30s, and continue to be an activist and continue to be involved in politics, people feel that the Delaware way is, oh, I get to see Biden get on the train and get home. Or I get to see Carper running or Coons is there, or Mike is there, and I get to see them, and I get to say hello. Well, that's no longer right, and that's no longer enough, right? So we have people like you're saying, hey, Monday for you guys, and I, I'm sorry I wasn't here, it was a warm-up. But more people would have shut up if more more would have been said. So it is a huge crack. Yeah, and, and you know, because of the mechanisms of that particular meeting, you know, we didn't know for few days we had maybe four days lead time um but you know there was enough of us who knew that you know if we were i, I had a conversation about i had a, i'll just say i had a conversation with a few organizers after it this you know thing we did and it was like i wish we were able to turn out for example more union people yeah because we sat in that meeting and you know they're going to do construction on that site who are they hiring well steel workers from virginia now, you think they're union steel workers? I bet you they're not. Um, you know, is that the cheapest bid to just bring in people from out of state? Yes. Um, so that's what we're signing up for. Now, back in the day, the iron workers here in the union would not stand for that. Mm-hmm. Construction workers in the union here would not stand for a, a, a New Jersey company going there and doing the demolition. But we have to work harder in all of our different organizing spaces to start reaching out and finding solidarity with, in this case, because we don't. I mean, it's nobody's fault. Yeah. It's yeah. just these are the kind of things we have to start thinking about. But you know what? I will say this, though. Our leadership, in a way, is to be all accountable for this. What did um, Ocasio did very well in New York when Amazon was trying to do the same thing? Speak up. And the community, get the community organized and everyone says something. And she got a lot of crap for it. But hey, she was able to say, I as a leader cannot allow this to happen. I need to bring my community together. We need to organize and we need to speak up. And our leaders fell short of that. And if you allowed in Delaware for secret meetings to take, come on, you can't tell me you didn't know about the secret meetings. You know. If you choose not to say something, that's a different thing. So 
even in, in the Democratic Party. As a leader in the Delaware Democratic Party, I feel that we're being too weak, that we are just in the fine lines of things, that we're comfortable, that we do just enough, but don't go all the way in. I even said that publicly on, on social media recently. I feel that we could do more and we need to stop being afraid. We need to speak up and fully do things right. And as the leaders, the people running for office, and once you're in there as well, don't hold on to your seat. Like if I don't please the right people, I'm going to be taken off. The power people is enough. Organize them. Be always truthful to them. And they will support you. And you will stay in the seat. Now, if you continue to lie to us, if you continue to flip, if you continue to do things for the elite and keep things quiet, organizers, activists, and people giving the platform and the podcast are doing all the work necessary to continue to educate the working class, the minority, and we, the people of whether it's Delaware or Puerto Rico, are powerful enough and more in numbers to make the changes that you are not willing to make. Yeah, it's hard because you, I, I, you're exactly, exactly right. This is, I mean, I do it the way that I do it, but I just feel like I'm, I guess Erica would call it my gift. <laughs> like, um, I have a way of making sure that the people who should feel uncomfortable feel uncomfortable. Um, it took me a while to sort of make sure that the target is always correct. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, but now that I have an outlet, I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about. Because, you know, a lot of us stood up and spoke. I, I made some remarks um, about, you know, my I grew up near that GM plant. I grew up uh, like five mm -hmm. minute walk from there. And uh, while my dad didn't work at the plant, he was a truck driver for UPS. So he was a Teamster. And then later on when he was a manager, obviously that's Teamster labor that makes the packages go here and there and everywhere. Of course, Amazon doesn't have any unions. So their mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're employees now that are going to work there aren't going to get <clears throat> their The kids of those folks aren't going to grow up like I grew up with my dad in a union. And, you know, that's done for a reason, obviously. But as you start painting that picture, talking about it don't be afraid tell tell you know uh tell tell julie kelleher when she goes to a cafe in san juan yeah that she's a crook yeah and you don't want her here tell her these people are out that's the thing that's part of the delaware way right everybody likes oh i saw joe biden at the taco bell oh i saw you know uh, uh, uh carper you know working out at the y like you said like people think it's like a celebrity sighting they're not fucking celebrities. Yeah. Stop doing that. But it's funny when people are conditioned to do that, when you treat them the way they ought to be treated, people get worked up. Yeah. But that's up. fine. That's fine. That's what people don't get. They're like, why are you acting this way? Why are you working people up? Because they deserve it, number one. And number two, the system's designed so that I don't. That's how I know that I have to do it. Yeah. Yep. You know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you got to do that. I, I look, I tell people, and I even tell my son, I say people like myself, when Maria Bouchard stops doing the work right as an activist, as a mother, as a community member, if, if no one has the balls, because you have to have the balls. Absolutely. To tell right. me, Maria, you're doing it wrong. You're not holding people accountable, or you're not speaking the truth, or you're not acting and doing this for the right reasons. If no one can tell me that, you're not doing me or the community any service. Um, we don't need groupies. We don't, if, if, if I wanted groupies and if I wanted to be whole a celebrity, then I would be an actress, not an activist and involved in politics. And all of our politicians need to know and understand that. Well, public servants, I think that we don't use the word enough because politicians sounds nicer. Than public service. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? I have to serve the public? Yes, that's what you have to do. And we, you no longer do that. And your supporters can't even tell you that you're not doing that. And they want to make excuses. And everyone is 
you know, saying the wrong things and trying to oppress the people speaking up and trying to make them be quiet. We're in 2020. And if in 2020, we still haven't learned from history and we're going backwards instead of forward, we're never going to evolve as humans. And I refuse to not evolve as a human. And I refuse to be part of history at the wrong side of history. I refuse to allow... Uh, I'll say this. And I recently said this to someone. What's happening in the borders, what's happening with families being separated, families and kids being killed, raped, all of that. If we think that we're not at fault because we're not doing it or because we don't live in Texas... We're wrong. Everyone that is in the United States of America, citizen or not, and has not stood up against it, hasn't spoke about it, hasn't been part of the educational process, is at fault. Just like during 1933 to 1945, there was a Hitler. And everyone that allowed to what happened in Germany, genocide, the Holocaust, World War II, if we didn't learn from that, and we're allowing, allowing all of these things happen now in our country, in the United States of America, we are to be blamed, including me, because we are allowing something horrific to happen, but feel that it's not or doing, so we are okay. And that is because we don't hold the people in power accountable, because we are afraid of calling things out, because we don't want to be disrupted from our nine to five routines and we're comfortable and we all need to be uncomfortable, including me. Everyone needs to do more. Now, I'm not saying that you need to get on a car and go to the border. I'm not saying that, you know, that you need to get out of your complete comfort zone. Sometimes all you have to do is pick up a phone or an email and write to your public servants and let them know what you are allowing to happen as a member of our government, it's wrong. I refuse to be a part of it. And if you don't change it, I'm voting you out. That's all we have to do. But we don't do it. Yeah. I always say that um, you know, the difficulty is that the system is designed to allow the easiest thing to do is ignore it. Yeah. That's for sure. You know, you have to work long hours. Uh, you have to take care of your kids. Um, you have to do all of these things. Like, it's just easier to ignore it. And that's the way the system is set up. It's funny that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. They, uh, that's, that's the perspective that we're going to need to have to make any kind of change at all. Um, I did, I guess to put a little cap on it, um, I, I didn't know this, but I always like the end of these stories. So so on Monday, um, luckily Erica was there for moral support. Um, but there were about, I mean, the committee's maybe 20 people and a few Amazon folks. And then there was a, several journalists there. And then it was another maybe three, four dozen people. Maybe there was 50 people. Maybe. So um, they talk about it. Amazon goes through their PowerPoint slide, which is kind of funny to me. Um, they do some rounds of questioning. Um, we did our remarks, all opposed, I think. And then basically they just do another round of committee questioning and then they vote. There's nothing. I mean, it's, we can't do anything because the there's a committee that basically seeks these deals out and makes the deal then it goes in front of this board for public hearing but it's over like we don't there's no recourse it's just that so the, the committee votes unanimously to give them this four hundred four and a half million dollars <throat> so I, I saw what was happening like i kind of I, I i got what was happening so i kind of made my way towards the door and i just happened to be like right behind like the muckety muck who was running the meeting and so as they said you know all in favor i all opposed and nobody opposed I just said, I walked out of the room, but I, I said, uh, just give us two more election cycles. We're going to shut all this down. And I walked out of the room. Um, now, nobody told me until tonight that uh, I did get a, a very nice reaction when I did that, <laughs> when I went out with, but I said, you got to go out with your fingers high and your guns blazing because they need to know. Yeah. Like the, being, um, keeping the people comfortable and handshake deals what, what somebody like Chris Coons would tell you is a virtue 
is a lie. It's fake. Yeah. It's not good. Um, it's uh, it's the reason that that Azar is now we're, now we're all going to get killed by coronavirus because he talked Tom Carper into voting for his buddy from Yale. Like that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. It's awful. But Eric is here and you're here, so that makes me feel good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, so you're going back to you, you're going you're going back to the island uh, what, in a week two weeks. Yeah, so I go back in two weeks. I have some meetings in DC um, to talk about Puerto Rico and and one of the things that I'm proud of because of um, platforms like yours where we could speak up and and talk about Puerto Rico and learn just like we need to talk about what's happening in the border and everything that is wrong. We need to also talk about Puerto Rico, understand what's going on understand that we are a colony and have the people in America say, hey, you know, we want to learn more and decolonize Puerto Rico. So so I'm having a few meetings with with other amazing groups and people in DC that that want to learn more of how they could support the movement that just became a political party. So I'm very proud to say that I am part of that and that we're finally a political party. We have Alexandra Lugaro running as our governor. I serve as the secretary of the party and, and part of the leadership as well. And, and we have amazing, amazing leadership. And Delaware, I'm, I'm proud of the support from Delaware. Not just, like I said, platforms like yours, but, but people um, like Drew Series and Network Delaware. A lot of the teaching that I'm doing in Puerto Rico comes all from the material provided by Network Delaware. So the way we do politics in a way here, the way we're doing it now, right? And, and the amazing leadership that Network Delaware has been able to coach and put out there is the same material and tools that we use in Puerto Rico. Drew's a king. <laughs> Drew's a king. I will tell you something that's so important, the other thing that you touched on, because I, in, in a week or two, I'm going to have a, a lawyer from the ACLU come in. Oh, nice. And um, he's working uh, with us at Network Delaware. He's working on an important civil rights case. Uh, but he was also uh, a whistleblower at the Department of Education, actually, in D.C. You may know who I'm talking about. Um, and, and so I read, I read a book yesterday to go back over it. A, a historian who I admire uh, is an expert in, uh, in European history in the 20th century. So he's wrote, written um, a lot about... Uh, the communist bloc, uh, but but he has a, a, a book called On Tyranny. And it's basically just lessons when you're, he, he's an expert in uh, uh, Weimar Germany and, and, uh, and the Holocaust, as you were saying. And it's just lessons about how don't, don't obey in advance, for example. Be as courageous as you can. Do things in public, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a big section about having professional ethics taking responsibility for your profession. So if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're a clerk, if you're a teacher, you have a responsibility. <clears throat> and if you take that responsibility seriously, then you can't say, well, I was just following orders. Like, it's just how it is. You know, there's kids in cages and concentration camps, but uh, what am I going to do about it? I'm not doing it. No, you're responsible. You have to take personal responsibility. If you work in connection with that, you have to take personal responsibility. You got, and, and, and you're sure as shit going to be held accountable because we had that conversation at Nuremberg and that didn't work out too well for them. Mm-hmm. If you feel me. Yeah. So it's just interesting that you said that because I've, Timothy Snyder is the historian's name. I'm going to be talking about it more when I talk um, to Dwayne um, Bensing. Dwayne Bensing is his name. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that, that goes right to that. Like you have to feel like you're invested in it. But again, the system is, is designed explicitly to make sure you don't feel invested in it to make you're an individual. It's the reason you're bad at school is because your parents don't care. Uh, or you, you did made this choice. It's a, you know, that's what it's all about. Late stage capitalism is all about individualizing everybody's failure. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's your fault. You can change it, but you didn't fuck you. That's it. When that's not true. That's, that's, that's actually a trick that they're playing. And if everybody starts taking responsibility and coming together, building solidarity together, yeah, we can change that. Yeah, we can. Yes, I I agree with you. And solidarity, I think we don't speak about it enough, and we don't practice it enough. 
And it, it's not just always about coming together for society, coming together for healthcare, coming together for the way you eat. Um, in Puerto Rico, we are putting that into practice more often. And I have visited communities, for example, after the earthquake. We lost power when we had the earthquake. So I was woken up because my entire bed was dragging around. I heard noises. I opened my eyes and everything is shaking for quite a while. And the power went out. But there was a community in Orokovis that still had power and water. Because they got out of the grid and, and they're in solidarity with each other. And they're learning how to stand together as a community. And to me, that was amazing. And to continue to duplicate that and, and do it in more communities, it's it just takes everyone. And like I said, whether I am in Delaware or I am in Puerto Rico, there's a lot of similarities in the way we do things. And we have to, one, stop being afraid of speaking up and standing up. Um, we have to, it's okay to learn new things. We never stop learning and evolving. The way we were thought things were not necessarily always right. There's a lot of information that we were not thought on purpose and seeking it is okay. But talking to people different from you, talking to people who think different from you, it's okay. And it's necessary in order for us to grow and get out of our comfort zone and to be able to do better and practice better, whether I am in Delaware or in Puerto Rico, for me is essential. And you know, if you never met me and you're listening to my voice, I probably sound good and healthy and all this. And I don't know, you might even think, well, maybe for you it's easy because you're into this and all that. But I am a person with disabilities. I am a person who sometimes is not healthy enough to stand up. Sometimes I'm very sick. I understand what a routine is. I understand what it is to work for corporate America and then standing up to that and doing better for myself. Um, I completely understand racism, bullying, all of that was part of my life growing up. And when I moved to Delaware from Puerto Rico, I had a very thick accent. A lot of people couldn't understand me, but that didn't stop me from wanting to grow and also from loving the people in America. And I am not a proud of, of my circumstances. I could have so many excuses to be different from what I am today. But what I decided was not to use any of that as an excuse, but actually as ammunition to be a better person and a contributing member to society. And what I really want everyone to do as they're listening to me is hold yourself accountable and people who represent you accountable as well so we could all have a fair chance at this thing called life. That's beautiful. I have nothing to add to that. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Of course, always. Um, www.patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. You got to get in there. You got uh, to consider a patronage. $5, $10. Uh, just wait because part of our, our menu of, uh, of content is going to be podcasts. I mean, we're, we're still going to do the podcast. You're probably going to have to pay for it then, though. Then you're going to be hooked. You're going to be addicted to it. So just think about it. If you get in early... I know who you are. Maybe we can work out a deal. Do you know what I mean? So let's get on that. Let's get on track. Highlands Bunker, Patreon.com. All else I have to say tonight is solidarity. Solidarity. Um, you know, like Bernie says, you have to uh, look to your left and look to your right and decide that you're going to fight for somebody you don't know. And I know that feels strange to people because they're conditioned not to think about anyone ever. Um, but that kind of thinking is going to get us all killed. So you feel, although, it, as you said, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a burden. I sometimes joke with people like, I don't want to be having to do this all the time. Politics is actually kind of boring. Like the people are boring. Like not activists, obviously, but the people are fighting it. Like it's like you fight somebody, you want to really fight them. But you fight them like these people at that at that committee meeting. It's like these people are adults. Um, so yeah, I mean it's grueling in that regard, but it's also exhilarating. Yeah, because you're like I, I'm doing the thing. Bernie said I'm fighting for somebody I don't know. Like 
I know that I'm right. They know that they're wrong. This feels pretty good. Like, that's the thing. You're uncomfortable when you do it, sort of like any kind of, of lobbying. You're like, ah, I guess it's uncomfortable. But then you do it, you feel great. So, um, first order of action, patronage. Second order of action, uh, go and uh, call your uh, legislator and tell them what you think. Pick a pick a topic and get involved. All right, we're going to close it out today. This has been fun. I'll speak to you soon. Left is best. <laughs>